Ah, cool. Somebody put Billy Joel on a jukebox. Billy Joel? This is Daft Punk. Daft Punk? I, what, what is that? What, what, that? That's not even words. What are you saying? This is Billy Joel. It's Anthony's song, parentheses, moving out. First of all, it's moving out, parentheses, Anthony's song. And second of all, this is 100% not Billy Joel. You know, when they recorded Moving Out, someone left the studio doors open, and that's why at the end you hear that car sound. That's not true either. No, this is it. He's talking about going all around the world because this Anthony fella, he's moving out, you know, to live with Mr. Cacciatore down on Mulberry Street. And that's all I'm going to say about those two. Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Welcome to Billy Joel A to Z on a most exciting day. There is no drama today of will we, won't we like this song? We all know this is moving out day. Or as no one refers to it, parentheses, Anthony's song. (laughs) (laughs) Moving out kicks off in a huge way. Billy Joel's masterpiece and fifth studio album, The Stranger. It was released as the first out of four singles released from this album in early September of 1977. But since people are idiots and they didn't care to play it on the radio, they released just the way you are six weeks after. After that song put Billy on the map and started to do well, they re-released Moving Out on November 1st, 1977, where it made the top 100 on March 11th, 1978, and ultimately made it to number 17 on May 27th, 1978. An incredible slow burn for such a long-lasting greatness of a song. But again, as we always point out, you're trying to beat out the Saturday Night Fever and Grease soundtracks, as well as ABBA and Disco. So the fact that this made this anywhere is unbelievable. Moving out which is Billy's commentary on 1970s upward mobility, also appears on 2000 Years the Millennium Concert, 12 Gardens Live, Greatest Hits Volume 1, and a live version on the My Lives compilation album. I don't like this song. Oh, I'm just kidding. What? Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Boy, that would be like, all right, I'm turning off this podcast. All right. Well, we go to the rankings. I can't imagine there will be any surprises, but Christopher Bonanos always keeps us guessing. I think there's a part in this song uh, where you'll be able to figure out why it might or might not be somewhere. Alan, where does Christopher Bonanos (laughs) put moving out out of 121 songs? Okay, so what you're referring to is Christopher Bonanos does not like sound effects in Billy Joel songs. And this song has the rumbling of a Corvette engine at the end of it. So, you know, that's going to ding it a few points for him. And he also might not like sort of like how he doesn't like him. Big shot when Billy sings in a funny way. Maybe he doesn't like the ack, 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 ack. There it is. 
So, but how low could he go with this? That's the thing. I mean, I understand he'll ding it, but like, where where would he put it? I'm just gonna okay. So I'm I'm gonna take all that into account and say sixteen. Oh, excellent. Thirteen. Okay. Very well uh, thought out. Thank you. Uh, excellent process. Only the goofy, awkward, heart attack, act, 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 keeps this one out of the top 10. So well done. It's exactly what he says. We knew exactly what we're talking about. So he didn't say the Corvette, though. It was the axe. It was the axe. However, uh, what he says later uh, at, in his in his entire article, he points out that he hates sound effects. And he talks about, but then he says, and this is for the whole article in his is his uh, New York Magazine article. He says, "I'll admit that the brake screech and moving out is fun." So okay. for some reason, that particular sound effect he didn't have a problem with, but the ack 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 keeps it out of the top ten. It's because this song is so good, he could overlook some of the flaws. Exactly. Uh, Glenn Gamboa puts it at seventeen. Who knows why? And the fans rank it where it probably should be at number five. Yeah. Good job, fans. Yep. I think for me, it's sometimes I, I think of this as my number one song. Honestly, when people ask me, what's your favorite? Because, you know, ever since we started the podcast, people ask me that question. They probably ask you the same thing. Of and it's hard to answer. But there are times when I just say, I think it might be moving out. Yeah. For me, it's money or love. And <laughs> the thing is, what? Uh, <laughs> no, you know, obviously, yeah, I, I don't know where this would be. It's definitely top five. Probably this is something so special about the song. And I can't believe, you know, in again, re-listening to this song that this exists on the same album as scenes from an Italian restaurant. I mean, this guy, and then we realize what a storyteller this is scenes from an Italian restaurant, but compacted into three minutes or four minutes, you know? Yeah. And even less than that, because the last like minute is just the outro. So it's right. like the whole song is so short. The last minute is what they refer to as the Layla ending from the Eric Clapton, or the Derek and the Domino song. And Billy Joel gets upset when it when it gets faded out on the on the album. He was like, no, no, let's keep it going. Yeah, he wanted this to be like an eight minute song with yeah. a huge five minute outro. But thank God for Phil Ramone. Uh, otherwise, who knows what would have happened to Billy Joel? But yes, boy, this song packs a punch. It's an unbelievable way to kick off an album. It's the first song, right? Yeah, which is amazing because it comes out just hitting hard right away. There's no like soft intro building up to it like a Miami 2017 has. This song just right away gets bam, it hits you. Yeah, you don't even know what that instrument is that starts it. I can't I don't I don't even know what it is. It just yeah, it hits you. Bam. This album is going to be unbelievable. Yeah, I think it's the xylophone or maybe the kazoo. <laughs> I think it's kazoo. It's definitely not that. But boy, <laughs> this is something else. The lyrics are amazing. And then, you know, when it crescendos in the, oh, but it seems such a waste of time, you know, bow, you know, and it just keeps hitting it. It keeps hitting it. You know, I mean, that's like, who even thought of putting that, you know, heavy guitar in to accent those major points it's really something special you know i don't know well i'm sure you saw the old gray whistle test version and that version's interesting it's a great version and the beginning's a little different and i like that each instrument kind of comes in it's the ending actually each instrument kind of comes in separately 
like first the guitar, then the sax, then the bass. He it's leveled, and there's you know when you can find little things that they do probably to keep it fresh after playing it for so many years, it really is great. Yeah, it's even cool. I mean, that's one of the earliest performances of it because he only started playing it in like late 77 and that was from 78. But there's already like fun things that they do live. Like when he says Mama Leone, he goes, Mama Leone. Yeah, know? yeah. And you can tell they're like smiling at each other during the song. They're they're like really into it. The only thing I don't like about that, like really any live version of the song is kind of, I'm used to the outro fading, which I like when they actually end it like with a hard ending. It sounds a little corny right at that, that last note. Yeah, they should just fade it out live too which would be funny and hard to do uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> a little bit softer now a little bit softer now <laughs> <laughs> excellent excellent analogy a little animal house action is always good um also the the song has this great meandering bass line which is always one of my favorites and then also the demo version is cool where he doesn't have the lyrics yet which is always you know and in the process, he goes, oh, but that wouldn't buy me any peace of mind. Yeah. And then he goes, no, 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't know what's going to fit in there. He doesn't know what's going to fit in. But we know because oh, it's we a know. goddamn masterpiece, a goddamn yeah. masterpiece. And on the demo, the line before that one, he also has different. He says, sure, I can do better working overtime. I'm, 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 I'm. Yeah. <laughs> so he definitely improved because that was not the best. Sure, I could do better working Yeah, well, that's where Phil Ramone comes in and says, no, what are you, an idiot? No, well, Phil Ramone is the reason why he does the act, 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 because Billy wanted to have like an echo effect there. And he was like, you know, it'd be like a uh, heart attack, act, act, act. And Phil was like, just just do that. Yeah, no, it's fine having one. So, yeah, you don't <laughs> want to, you know, repeat it all. The time. You don't want to give away your best parts. But, you know, again, this song, it, it, it's like you, you, you wouldn't even need scenes from an Italian restaurant. If you had a song like, you know, if, if this album didn't have scenes from an Italian restaurant, it would still be the greatest album ever. And just the fact that there are two stories, uh, there's multiple stories, obviously, but just uh, that it starts out with this Italian story and the side finishes with an Italian story and he's not even Italian. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny every time. But again, first of all, he doesn't know why he even subtitled an Anthony song. He has no explanation. <laughs> yeah, there's no good story. He's like, I want to write a song about a guy named Anthony. <laughs> so, so, but then why'd you subtitle it? You don't need to do that. Right. And I don't know whether you know, but the reason he got the idea from the song and named it Anthony is from a commercial back in the 60s and 70s, which I completely remember. I'll never forget it. I think about it in my head all the time, every time I have spaghetti. And it's this legendary commercial that ran for years where this kid Anthony his mother calls the kid Anthony out the window and it was it was Wednesday was Prince Spaghetti Day it was the name of this brand that I don't even think you sell anymore Prince Spaghetti and like everybody knew Wednesday was Prince Spaghetti Day and Anthony's mother calls out the window Anthony <laughs> and then he runs through the streets of Boston which I always thought was New York I had no idea it was Boston uh, home for dinner because it was Wednesday and it was Prince Spaghetti Day and that is where he got the idea for this song. That's a good story. I like that. Yeah. 
That's why you like it, because any song that's inspired by a TV commercial is right up your alley. Well, that's what I love. I love when you're watching a Woody Allen movie, and there's definitely the only reason he cast this person, because he was clearly watching television. There's no way he's in his mind he's thinking of hiring Kirstie Alley. Uh-huh. Know, yeah. Unless he's watching <laughs> Cheers, you know. Yeah, he's got he's got the Where's the Beef lady starring. <laughs> right, exactly. So knowing that Billy Joel was what, but this commercial was run everywhere. I'll be able to play it for you, so you'll know. Wednesday is Prince Spaghetti Day. It's always everybody knows that who's my age, and so the character's name was Anthony. She yells out the window, old school, like as if we were from the 1920s. Anthony Martinetti lives in Boston, in the Italian North End, the home of the Prince Spaghetti Company. Anthony knows a lot about Prince because it's something that grows you. Most days, Anthony takes his time going home. But today is Wednesday. And in the North End of Boston, Wednesday is Prince Spaghetti Day. Alon, how do you have a commercial that's so popular that everybody, including myself, well, I'm crazy with TV, but... When everybody knows who Anthony is and that and that iconic commercial and that Wednesday is Prince Spaghetti Day. And I remember this now, what, 50 years later. How does that go out of business? Can you explain that? <laughs> so it was Prince, like P-R-I-N-C-E. Yeah. Prince. Spaghetti. It doesn't sound Italian enough. That's the problem. Prince is no good. You got to give it a name like Ronzoni. Well, what if it was like about Prince Street or something? That's then you got to put the street. Little... Prince Street Spaghetti. Oh, I would definitely you're... get that. Yep. You're right. Yeah, you're right. But they're in Boston. I mean, it's like, how do they go out of business? I don't understand. Like when nobody uses Prince Spaghetti. I've never seen it anywhere. I never had heard of it until you told me right now. I don't but even you know, think we ever bought it during the commercial during its heyday. That's why you enjoyed the commercial, but didn't care for the product. No, we're all we're all about Ronzoni. <laughs> yeah, this is a Ronzoni household. <laughs> Pasta Barilla or nothing else. Anthony! But, you know, whatever the reason was, having that subtitled the anthony song in brackets does give the song some kind of mystery it's weird you're like why is that there it kind of reminds me of like a movie soundtrack would have a song titled that you know it's like you're thinking of like arthur's theme yep that's right it's just like it just seems like it wouldn't be there's no need for that to be in the song that's right but it also kicks off an album that's telling you this is going to be an album full of little vignettes and so if you have anthony's song then it makes sense now you would think maybe going along with that, that he would parenthesis every song, you know, subtitle every song in it, which would be interesting. But of course, that's unnecessary. Yeah. You have something Brenda called and Eddie's song. Well, right, right. That would have worked. That would have been interesting. But yeah, there's no rhyme or reason for this. But how about that? Look at all these characters. I mean, when I'm listening to that song, I'm like, this guy, you know, and I know I've been bashing him nonstop because the L's were just horrible for me. But <laughs> You know, but now I now I got my Billy Joel back on Miami 2017, even that money or love. You know, I like it. This one, you know, now it's like, yeah, this is why we decided to do the podcast. I know we say that a lot because when we're getting to the good ones, it's really exciting. But this song is so good and it just makes you feel good. And it's uh, and again, it's a sad song, (laughs) but it's got that Billy Joel energy that takes a kind of a sad, depressing. Is that all you get for your money? It's so sad and normal. Like, you know, we've been talking about like Springsteen stuff, but Billy Joel knows how to put on the spin where I'm not depressed after I hear this song. Right. Cause he's sad, but he's defiant, you know, yeah. cause he's like, 
screw you, I'm moving out. And you'll like that energy that he brings to the song. Yeah. I love I, when Billy right. Joel's mad. I love when he's a mad guy in a song. That's the best Billy Joel for me. Yeah, you're right. And when he's mad again, it's different than Springsteen because I'm getting the way I would get mad. Not the sad and morose, depressing stuff that I think Springsteen brings. But okay, that's a whole other story. And I know everybody gets mad at me for that. But again, the only time I get sad about this song is when I think about the lyrics, you know, then I'm like, yeah, geez, you know, this is kind of depressing, but it doesn't matter. It's just so special when it gets to that chorus and it kind of breaks down a little bit. It's so good. It's so orchestrated. It's amazing that you could uh, even make a song like this. I don't even know how you compose or put together a song like this. Is it all Billy Joel? Did he write this on a piece of paper? Does he write where the instruments come in? Or is it Phil Ramone who puts it together and, and helps out? Now, the other thing, of course, you know that, again, well, it's so interesting where we talk about Money or Love and Liberty DeVito and his just, I don't even know what to say. The guy is so angry all the time. Yeah, and Billy Joel is a genius. We know this. And yet, when Billy Joel started out this song, as I'm sure you know now, he wrote it completely as Neil Sedakta's Laughter in the Rain. You know yeah. this, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he tells a story all the time. Yes. He even plays it as Laughter in the Rain, which was a big hit for Neil Sadaka. A really just lame song, but a huge hit. It wasn't good, you know, mm-hmm. if you, you know, but it's an easy listening song. As a matter of fact, uh, <laughs> David Tell in 1988, one of his best jokes was that cassette tapes were getting so expensive, not video cassette tapes, audio cassette tapes were getting so expensive. He uh, he, uh, a Neil he found a Neil Sadaka tape in a basement bin that was a dollar, and he just used that to record over. <laughs> I said it wrong, but that was the I idea. get it. Yeah, yeah. But he was doing laughter in the rain. But when he didn't realize it was laughter in the rain, it was Liberty that got so angry at him. Are you crazy? Like Liberty just constantly throws his drumsticks apparently at Billy Joel when he makes a mistake. The fact that he kept this guy on for 30 years is a goddamn mystery. I don't know where Liberty DeVito gets off telling Billy Joel, especially on the first album he's working on, that he stinks almost on a daily basis. But it's good that he did, because there's a lot of times when an artist will put out a song and you're like, this sounds so much like this other song. Why didn't nobody tell him this? At least Billy had someone to tell him, look, you really shouldn't put it out this way. And he made the song so much better. Yes, Elon, I agree 100 percent. You're absolutely right. There's got to be a better way to bring it up in everything we've ever read. Liberty gets angry. He throws the drumsticks. He threatens to walk out when you could just go, you know, this sounds a lot like laughter in the rain. Maybe we should rethink this like a gentleman. Yeah. Instead, he said, like, go back to work. <laughs> yeah. Go back to work. He is the first <laughs> album. He's, he's like, hey, I'm letting my touring band be in the studio with me. And this guy's such an asshole. It's unbelievable that they were together for so long. And then he wants writing credits. I'm telling you, all this adds up to what we were talking about on the last episode. And not only that, but whenever you see videos of of Liberty playing, he's dressed like he's in a Jane Fonda workout video. (laughs) Put a nice suit on, man. You're in a Billy Joel band. 
exactly. Exactly. Billy's always wearing a jacket and a suit. Yeah. And then this guy's coming back like he's coming uh, out of Gold's gym. So there is a there is a video of a girl playing the version that it would have been if he had kept laughter in the rain. It's it's very disappointing. It's not very good, but at least she went for it. It's interesting. Anthony works at the grocery store, saving his pennies for Sunday. Mama Leone left a note on the door. She said, Sonny, move out to the country. Ah, but working too hard can give you a heart attack Ooh, and it seems a waste of time If that's what it's all about Ooh, and if that's a moving up And mama, I, I'm moving out Oh, yeah, it's not her fault. It's just, it's, right. you know, yeah, it's not as good. And uh, some of the song, some of the song doesn't fit really well. Obviously, parts of it were like Laughter in the Rain, but he changed the song, as we know from the demo, because right. the demo already was not like Laughter in the Rain. By the demo, he had made it sound like the studio version just didn't really have the lyrics yet. So that was coming in at a little bit of a later point in time after Liberty had yelled at him. So I always think the motorcycle came at the beginning. I always thought it opened with that, but it clearly doesn't. No, you're thinking of like, you may be right. Oh, is that right? Yeah, that's that that Oh, you're right. I'm mixing it up. And, and here's the reason why. We've talked about this on one episode. It must have been something else from The Stranger. How I remember as a kid, when they would promote the album, they had a television commercial for it. And I remember, maybe it was when we were even talking about a matter of trust, because I remember that commercial. And mm-hmm. I was talking about the, the, the Stranger. I remember the album. And I remember he was on the bike and they're like, it's a new Billy Joel album, you know, <laughs> and he was on the I could have sworn he was on the bike. It was the album and he was on a motorcycle. And that was the the new album. The Stranger sold it. No, it, it was for a matter of trust, because remember, you were like, no, Billy no, I, back with a new album and a new baby and a new baby. No, I know. But I but I remember like just before Saturday Night Live came on, there was a commercial for The Stranger. Maybe it was the episode Billy Joel was playing on. They would have an advertisement for the album, The Stranger. They used to promote albums back then for commercials. They'd be like, "Available of Sam Goody," uh, and and, <laughs> and and I remember there was an album, and it was him on the motorcycle. And I'm like, and I remember being like, "What the hell is this? What is this guy? An asshole?" I was like, it just none of it made sense. And that was just so funny, knowing that he is not that tough guy. But it was like, I'm like, what is this tough guy album? I'm not buying this. I was too young for this anyway, but. I mean, it was just uh, just didn't make any sense when I know him now. I'm like when that commercial's in my head like that Prince Spaghetti Day. And remember, Wednesday is Prince Spaghetti Day. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Everybody should be having spaghetti on Wednesdays. They don't say why, though. Yeah, why? Of all days, it it was like I think marketing research was like, if you make it super specific, people will somehow believe you. Now, did this song come out after Saturday Night Fever? The movie was out. I'm going to say it's the same timeline. You know, the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack is there, and that's what certainly probably held up a song like Moving Out. So Saturday Night Fever came out, uh, yeah, 77, because it was nominated with Annie Hall, and uh, and that, that's all 77. So it came out in 77, 
And yes, at the okay, this yeah. exact time, this exact uh, time. It was actually late. So Saturday Night Fever was December 77. So this song predated it for sure. Because I was thinking like, isn't John Travolta's character named Tony in that? Yep. And it's kind well, of funny because you could picture that character in this song. He's basically this Anthony. That's interesting. You're absolutely right. It is Tony Monero. I always think of Tony Montana, so I get confused sometimes. But it's Tony Monero. And, uh, you know, when they go home, they're having spaghetti. <laughs> no, they're having a pork chop, I think. Because that's when uh, his dad says to him, when he's trying to clean the plates. I was just saying this to Rachel the other night. I was over a house. And uh, I always say this to my nephew when he gets the plate and he picks up. What are you doing? That's women's work. What the hell are you doing? I just feel like it, right? Girls do that. I got a raise today. How you like that? Yeah. Why don't you say so during dinner? We could have used the conversation. <laughs> I used to tell my mother that all the time. I don't like or my dad. I don't know what it is. Anyway, it's a good reason for a man not to clean the plates. What are you doing? That's women's work. That's what we were taught as children. But yeah, you're right. His name is Tony. But of course, Tony is the greatest Italian name of all time. So uh, Anthony, Anthony. Yeah, and that's why he chose it, because he said he was inspired by Little Italy, just like the feel of Little Italy. And he wanted to write a song about someone sort of with that in mind. Interesting. You're right. But it, he had no influence from Saturday Night Fever because the movie was not out yet. I guess you're saying it, the movie came out in December of 77. Yeah, it was a Christmas release. <laughs> Apparently so. Interesting. So I guess it just made the uh, Oscars that year because Annie Hall, I think, came out in the summer. It's amazing of its staying power or maybe, you know, because um, it mm-hmm. won it all, which is you know still a miracle for a comedy to win. Yeah. So I guess Saturday Night Fever just took shape. And remember late, like it, 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 it wasn't a slow burn, but it's like the music, I guess, was kind of a slow burn. And that's it's a completely different feel than Anthony's song, you know, Saturday Night Fever, which has the exact same premise of Italians living in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, has the same feel as Anthony's song completely. I mean, really, you're you're correct. You could tie in Tony Monero's character that he's trying to get out of this group that he grew up in and trying to move on. He's trying to move to Manhattan. He's trying to break away from his family and the, and their love of their other son, who's a priest and, yeah. and, and you're and his job at the hardware store. Yeah. Yeah. The paint shop. You're yeah. absolutely right. This Anthony song, works at the hardware store. Yeah. <laughs> Saving but his a, money for disco. A couple slices of pizza, the disco, disco, whatever. I mean, you're absolutely, I mean, this song totally coincides with that character. It's really two Italian songs, two Italian things, but totally different musical directions. And it's kind of funny that the, it's um, that Saturday Night Fever is a disco movie. I guess that's what made it so interesting that these tough guys were dancing to disco music. It's very strange. But again, in that movie, it's fascinating because, you know, they're doing the line dances that I grew up with. Yeah. You know, which is just so funny to see the, everybody knew the dances. It was kind of fun to be a man mm. and be able to dance properly as long as you knew the dances. <laughs> yeah. Good for the bar mitzvah circuit. Ex- exactly. And my mother <laughs> got all of us bar mitzvah kids an instructor to teach us all those dances so we could all dance together at the bar mitzvahs. <laughs> I've never heard of that. That's yep. good. She was a, 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 a she was a, a forerunner. What do you call that? Uh, oh, a pioneer. A pioneer. Of making a pioneer sure woman. The, like well, Dr. Quinn. Was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dr. Rhoda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember this guy, Wes. And he came and he taught us all the 70s dances, the hustle, the bus stop. 
<laughs> I know the hustle. Off. I never heard of the bus stop. Yep. Well, they after the hustle, they came up with a whole bunch of other ones. The bus stop, you had to uh, touch your tushy with another person. Ooh. Like not, but your side of your tushy. The side, yeah. The yeah. clean part. It's not the, sexual if it's the side. If it's right. just your it, it wasn't sexual, but I believe there were hand rolls involved. You know, like, oh, well, that is suggestive. I can't remember the bus stop. I completely remember the hustle. We should talk about all the cool references in this song. Speaking, we talked about Little Italy a little bit, but we got uh, all these fun things. We got Mama Leone's. We got Mr. Cacciatore's on Sullivan Street. Yep. That's which is right the down there in Little center, Italy, right? oh. across from the medical center. I believe that medical center doesn't exist anymore. Did it ever exist? Yes. I thought it was maybe just a lyrical thing, but I, I've thought, I always used to think, okay, maybe it's like the NYU medical center was like right there or something. I thought he was talking about St. Vincent's on 7th Avenue and 12th. But that's too far from Sullivan Street. That is too far, right. There's no medical center on Sullivan Street, right? There's a, my wife's doctor's office is, it's just a little doctor's office, but that's on either Sullivan or Thompson, which is the one street over. So maybe there was always a little doctor thing there that inspired him. Yeah, but is your wife's doctor in Little Italy or closer to the comedy cellar on Sullivan Street? Uh, It's between Houston and Bleecker, so. So it's not technically not little, little nothing yeah right. it's that's not really little Italy more uh, sullivan it's a little bit too far west right right although there's a us, lot of italian restaurants there for us sullivan street is like around the comedy cellar and stuff so we don't nobody thinks of sullivan street as little italy yeah it's more like uh Greenwich village you'd, you'd consider right, that right does sullivan street even go down that far to little italy no because little italy well little italy now is basically just like mulberry street and mott street a little bit it's like right. one block chinatown has sort of swarmed it from all ends but maybe back in the 70s it was it had a wider breadth but does sullivan street go past houston it goes north south it goes below houston yeah it does go below houston so maybe yeah. back then like you were saying it was uh, different but but right now when we think of sullivan street i mean uh, you know that's where we just hang out it's not it's not italian but it just sounds great and maybe he was just like Sullivan Street sounds better. <laughs> he made so many good choices about the words like Sullivan yeah. Street. This this song has so many great, like clear, hard syllables in it that he hits really hard. Like besides the act, 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 he's got like Mr. Cacciatore. And then at night he becomes a bartender. Yeah, like everything's got and same thing with Sullivan. Like they, it just the word choice is perfect for this to really give it that hard edge. Every single word. Yeah. Can you imagine being that talented enough to write this unbelievable orchestration to this and then write these unbelievable, catchy lyrics that no one should ever know by heart? Right. Because they're so weirdly specific. Like, who wants so to, who weird. would re- remember a song about Sullivan Street and the medical center? Right. And what's cool, and the characters are cool. You got uh, Sergeant cool. O'Leary, Mama Leone, which, by the way, makes me think, and I've heard other people say this as a theory as well. This is kind of like his Eleanor Rigby. You think of the characters in Eleanor Rigby, you got Father Mackenzie. Yep, yep. You know, that's kind of like the Sergeant O'Leary. Then you got Eleanor Rigby, which is like the Mama Leone. And there are these like little vignettes about just regular people. But it's so brilliant to have a police officer that becomes a bartender, you know, that has to double up a job and stuff. It really tells the story properly. Right. Because that's a common thing, you know, right? yeah. these guys moonlighting. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of moonlighting, your favorite song, Ugh. Big Man on Mulberry Street, was Don't also about Little Italy. Don't you dare. don't you ruin this moment for me (laughs) (laughs) you're like we went 50 episodes without thinking about that song oh so also we found out 
or I just found out that the car sound effect is what Doug Stegmeyer's car. Yeah, Doug Stegmeyer had a 60s Corvette. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. I didn't know that was actually somebody's car. It still reminds me of that Family Guy episode we were talking about with Alec. <laughs> where they just opened the studio doors and got lucky. <laughs> that's all I can think about now. I can almost not listen to the song without laughing anymore because I'm always thinking about how they <laughs> say, oh, I heard they just opened the studio doors. <laughs> Funny about that. That's hilarious. I know. I can't stop thinking about it. But yeah, so that was that guy's car. They put a tape, um, a microphone right next to the exhaust pipe and kind of went for it. And I can't believe they used it. You know, it's kind of a it's kind of funny. It reminds me of that Beach Boys movie where they were doing pet sounds and they were like, hey, everybody talk and do crazy stuff. He's just having the microphone around. It's, it seems like you look like an asshole when you're putting the microphone by the exhaust, but then it works out unbelievably where's this yeah. song gonna go you know like he because he's probably he's not a visionary doug stegmaier you know he's just a, a a musician a studio musician he's like where's this gonna this is stupid where's hey. this, gonna place this car noises yeah car noises he's like this I band mean, will last a week this isn't rock and roll what <laughs> i mean it is crazy to think that this song works and I think if they had maybe released it later, it probably would have gone higher up. Like if, if they'd released this some, maybe after 52nd Street even or, or as, as the next album, like if this was on 52nd Street, rather, which it wouldn't fit as well, it probably would have gone to number one. If this was oh, yeah. if this was the follow up to The Stranger, probably would have gone to number one. Absolutely. Or especially if it was on like Glass Houses, the rock album, you know, this yeah. song would fit right in there. And it's just yeah. so damn good. I think it's great. Like you mentioned earlier that like they released it as the first single. It didn't do anything. Then they re-released it again. It just shows how much faith they had in it. They didn't just say, well, let's just pick another song. They said, we got to go back to moving out. That didn't get a fair shake. Yeah, it's amazing. That's very rare. But then they, um, you know, I guess it's so funny that just the way you are was the one. It's just it's, it's those it's those crazy. I was thinking, you know, um, about Meatloaf, you know, because he just mm. passed away and and you know, it's funny. You have an album called Bad Out of Hell, and yet the most popular songs are ballads, like two out of three ain't bad and things like that. It's like Kiss with Beth. You know, like how are their yeah. ballads the most popular songs? But that's because the, the female fans like those ones, too. And there it goes. There it but is. I think I think Bad Out of the Hell was the best song on that album. I and like, he uses I think that has motorcycle noises in it also, actually. Oh, I think you're or something. Right. It has a lot of Meatloaf did a lot of that stuff, too. Yeah, well, that's uh, yes, yes. He was an interesting character as well because he was very theatrical, just like Billy Joel. Well, yeah, the Bad Out of Hell album is very much like a Broadway show. A lot of it's very much like Broadway show tunes. They weren't doing show tunes like that back then. They weren't doing rock and roll. In fact, Glenn Gamboa uh, in his rankings said uh, Joel doesn't really get enough credit for his storytelling abilities, but the characters here are so sharply drawn with such insightful details that you can hang an entire movie on them or, you know, a Broadway musical. Right. Which leads into the moving out musical, which I've never seen. Have you seen? No, it? why would you? Why would you know that's going to suck? You know, it sucked. Everything about it sucked. I, I don't know why he let that happen. It's to, I went to see the Green Day musical American Idiot. And again, as bad as this is going to sound, it's like these great rock and roll songs sung by effeminate men 
and it is not fun. <laughs> There's just no other way to put it. You know, I am a, a straight man and I'm, I'm like, you're you're ruining these songs for me. And, and sometimes those work. You know, I love Broadway shows. You do. And I'm OK with those guys singing those songs like that, but not the ones I know is these kind of rock songs. So when I'm seeing this guy going like, it's just a holiday, it's, it's not <laughs> jazz oh, hands. It, yes. And that's what it is. And they're trying to make it cool. And it's not. It's worse. So I would never go see moving out that had I had no interest in that whatsoever. Yeah, I read I read the description of it and it said it was basically like the people singing were not the dancers. So they would be singing all the songs and then they had a whole you know dance crew. Well, yeah, Twyla Thorpe, the legendary Twyla Thorpe. I don't know why they thought you know what the problem was? You know what that is that you know what that is? That stupid big man on Mulberry Street. They thought they saw that and they're like, we can make this a Broadway show. That's what happened. I hope you're happy. No, Twilight Tharp was like, well, that one's already done. So that one's in the can. We exactly. Figure out dances for all the other songs. No, I good. guarantee that's if we look at the uh, how the songs worked and where they were, I guarantee that's even the, cl- the either the closing of act one or the opening of act two. No, I think it was in somewhere in the middle of one of the acts. And I think actually moving out might have been the I know um, scenes from an Italian restaurant is what Twilight Tharp brought to Billy Joel and said, like, I want to know what happens to Brenda and Eddie after this song. And that was kind of how she, like, pushed the idea of, like, building a musical around it. What a mess. Alon, what, I mean, what are the live stats? Does he play it every time? You'd think that, right? Because it's the 10th most played song. He's played it 546 times, which is tied with Angry Young Man. Wow. So it's a ton. And if you look at the, the every single concert that's listed online, it's like you're like, wow, he's played this always. But why is it only number 10? But I looked through year by year. And from 1984 to 1989, there were 234 Billy Joel shows. And he played moving out three times. Isn't that interesting? So he took this big gap where he took it out completely for a long time. But otherwise, he played it at every single show from 77 all the way through till 84. I, I think I could tell you why he took it out. See, during that time, what did you say? 79 to 84? No, or, 84 what? to 89. Oh, yeah. See, that was a different Billy Joel era. You know, those are people coming to see innocent man shit and stuff like that. So it's like this song is like the 70s and it sounds like the 70s and it sounds also I. You know, it's, it wasn't I don't think it was a classic yet. You know, I think it takes time for it to build as legendary as scenes from an Italian restaurant where he already has that. He's probably also now he knows he's got to play that one every time. And this one is kind of a companion piece to that in a way. So that's probably his thinking. But now as time goes by, he's like moving out rules. And I'd probably prefer to play this than scenes from an Italian restaurant at this point. Right. But seems like, of course, he's always putting it in. Also. Right. He has he to because uh, and he probably is just absolutely miserable at this point playing it. Like you said, you play a song 500 times. You hate all your songs. But what is he going to do? I mean, you know, if, if people are going to be so disappointed. Meanwhile, I don't think anybody needs to hear scenes from an Italian restaurant anymore, but you would definitely be disappointed, I guess. I don't know whether I would. I mean, if he played something else that we liked and he would never play it, and we got kind of treated that way. I might be OK with that. But there's younger fans, I guess, that are just catching up and they'd probably be disappointed if he didn't play it. And he knows that. 
Yeah. And also for all the casual fans who, you know, are also helping to sell out all these garden shows, like they might not only know a few of the songs they, they want to hear that one. Well, unfortunately, he has to think about those people, too. Clearly, we found out I am a casual fan now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, before we get off the live stuff, one of the interesting things that Billy Joel did, if, I don't know if you saw this one from 1982 at Nassau Coliseum. He's playing this song. And right at the beginning, one of the roadies, possibly one of the gay caballeros, comes out with an apron and holding a grocery bag, I guess, dressed as Anthony. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. I did not see that. I love that. And the video, it, it, you see it. You see him walking out during the intro, but then they never show the guy again. for the Oh, rest of the I song. did see that. And I didn't know what it was. At first, I thought maybe it was a guy bringing out like a guitar for somebody. That, like, oh. I, I thought it was uh, the, the who's the sax player, Mark uh... Rivera. Yeah, yeah. That's who I thought it was. I thought I misunder. I thought I missed saw that it was his clarinet or saxophone that he was bringing. And that's who I thought it was. I did see that. I didn't know it was a random dude bringing it with a grocery bag. I couldn't tell. Yeah, it's like a big burly guy with a black beard. And oh. Groceries. I thought they were going to act out the whole thing. I thought there was going to be a, a Sergeant O'Leary coming yeah. out waving a nightstick. Why not do that? Especially in 82. When, you know, when uh, music video are just getting started. That's a brilliant plan. Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper for me? Yes, I have an interesting one. You may not like Neil Sedaka. You may not care for music from Neil Sedaka, but you have to respect Neil Sedaka. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> a little Godfather. Of course, you don't have to do that either, really. However, Neil Sedaka is credited with making this band, I haven't told you who it is yet, a legendary worldwide sensation for the past 50 years that is still as popular today as they were in the 1970s and who subsequently also stopped moving out from going higher than 17 since one of their songs was at 13 that same week that moving out peaked. Who is this supergroup that stalled Anthony's song from moving up, not moving out What on the charts when uh, all I can say is, do you know who it is before I give you the hint? No, I would just make a random guess. We'll make a random guess. Um, Journey. No, uh, but the hint is, and it's perfect for Anthony's song. The hint is all I can say is, oh, mama mia. Oh, it's, it's Abba. It's Abba. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Neil Sedaka helped Abba translate their Swedish song that was their first hit into English and thus started ABBA on their goddamn unbelievable journey that you could never see coming from some of uh, four Swedish folk that are just okay looking. <laughs> like like you, if they were all four super hot Swedish girls. Maybe you could see that being a thing. But the staying power of this band, unbelievable, with a very successful Broadway show, unlike Moving Out. Thank you. That's interesting, because actually, I feel like the fact that ABBA became so big in America, I think, led to other Swedish musicians deciding to like write English songs. And a lot of pop music from the last 20 years has been written by these Swedish guys like uh, Dr. Luke, I think, is one of them. And Max something. Maybe not Dr. Luke. There are these guys who write all the Britney Spears and Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. Every pop song comes out of this, like these few Swedish producer writer well, guys. ABBA is an unbelievable phenomenon because we know that there are other bands in other countries that are so big 
and we never hear of them. It's kind of like the David Hasselhoff thing, you know, where it's like yeah. in Germany, this guy's unbelievably. It's, it's, it's well, such yeah, a it's Norm Macdonald's running joke on Saturday Night Live, was, right? Which proves right. my theory: Germans love David Hasselhoff. <laughs> That's right, and we couldn't care less about his music. We just know him as an actor in Baywatch and Knight Rider, and that's it. And he was so angry about that. But there, but the fact, right, that this complete Swedish group that never changed who they were or anything, they just started singing songs in English, was such a mega group. I don't think. I think it's unprecedented. I don't think there are other groups like that ever. Yeah, you just have to be so damn catchy with your songwriting to cross from like from sweden and you know these these guys out. wrote a legendary broadway show called chess which is, is so you know if you're a broadway person it didn't do well and, and it's a legendary story of how these two guys that wrote all these great songs made this really great musical that didn't work it's like a classic story people have tried and they tried like a hundred times and you know, they've done nights with the songs from that. And, and it's the, the guys that write all the ABBA songs, you know, like Benny or whatever their name is. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, and it was all about um, like a Russian and American like chess match, which right now with the <laughs> Queen's Gambit would probably be successful. And the songs are they'll are try great. it again now. They'll be like, hey, Queen's Gambit, let's dust off that chess. Somebody's musical. always going to try again. It's, it's that popular amongst the Broadway community. I'm more of a checkers musical guy myself. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> Do you have a, a trivia question for me? Yeah, I do. And you know what's funny is, uh, what are we now, like 45, 50 minutes into this? It's a long time. And we haven't mentioned Hackensack at all, which is such a big part of this song. Hackensack, hack, 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 hack. But, but um, perhaps, perhaps it's because I get angry that he's making fun of Jersey. This guy from Long Island's telling me that's where you're going to end up if you're a loser. Come on. Sounds like you're on Team Bruce. <laughs> Maybe for this one. So my trivia question is about Hackensack. So Hackensack, plays a pivotal role in the plot of what superhero movie? The Toxic Avenger. That might be true, but that's not my answer. Is that true? Or you're just guessing? Well, he's the first superhero from New Jersey. Uh, okay. I don't think that's the answer. Okay. Uh, superhero from Hack. Uh, I know exactly what it is. It's the original Superman. And Lex yes. Luthor has a bomb going to Hackensack and then one to California. Yes. Hello. Boom. I love I that question. <laughs> I knew you'd get it. Right. And, His nuclear missile is going to land directly on Hackensack. And so Superman is dying with kryptonite around his neck, drowning in the pool. And Miss Tessmacher, whose mother lives in Hackensack, saves Superman so he could go save her mom. That's right. She he, she she saves him. So he go to Hackensack and divert that uh, that bomb first. But that movie also came out around the same time as this album. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I bet the mayor of Hackensack was like, things are looking up for us. <laughs> <laughs> Look at all this press we're getting. Yeah, well, he should have just gone. He's like, we appreciate Superman saving our city. That's how you win elections. <laughs> Having well, it's like with the guy, in the Allentown mayor, when he was trying to uh, mooch off of Billy Joel's success and it, it backfired on him. Exactly. Oh, I love that trivia question. Thank you. Good. Well, this is the one we've been waiting for. Your parodies have uh, people have been uh, confused by them and <laughs> haven't gotten a lot of uh, good ones from. But this is the one. This is the one. If you can't make this work, I think we have to drop the segment. All right. 
<laughs> I think, I think, uh, well, I'm not, I'm not going to, I always say, I think this is a good one. And then when it's over, you're like, yeah, that was not the way I would. That's just me. Everybody makes fun of me for not liking yours sometimes. So. Yeah. Okay. So my parody right now for moving out Anthony's song is called Mario's song. Mario works in the mushroom kingdom, fixing the pipes. He's a plumber. His brother Luigi is taller and thin. Mario's fat, what a bummer. Oh, but eating this mushroom gives him a strong attack. Ack, 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 ack. Who is the big man now? And if he stops Bowser from coming back, he'll get a big kiss from the princess. But if the bad guys are too hard, or there's a hole he can't jump over, he'll have to go back to the start. Game over. Well, that's, I was kind of hoping it was going to be about Mario Lopez, um, but whatever, whatever. <laughs> Mario I mean, Batali. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a good one. That's a good one. I was hope. I mean, I figured it was from the video game, and I think that makes a lot of sense. Mario, of course, as we know, him and his brother Luigi uh, do make a lot of sense for this song. So well done. <laughs> Another song about Italians. Yeah. <laughs> Well, folks, that was Moving Out. If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single song. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A to Z and give us some feedback. Do you think this song would be better with the melody to Laughter in the Rain? No way. Do you wish the song didn't fade out? Have you seen the Moving Out musical, and what did you think? Should Superman have saved Lois Lane before that lady in Hackensack? And did you know Wednesday was Prince Spaghetti Day? Everyone knows that. And have any of you actually ever eaten Prince Spaghetti? <laughs> Send us a box if you have some left over in your pantry. Too. Until next time, I'm Alon Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Moving out.